0: Welcome to the S'mores Indoors Podcast, the perfect combination of talk and interviews between my favorite podcast hosts. Now, please sit back, relax, and welcome your host, Corey.
1: Welcome to the S'mores Indoors Podcast. I'm Corey, joined alongside, as always, by Jonathan. What's been going on, man?
0: Nothing, man. Just uh, living the dream, feeling spooky for this time of year.
1: I tell you what, it's crazy, like at least in, in my area, and I'm sure, you know, we're not that far apart, so it's probably the same for you. The bottom just dropped out on the temperature outside.
0: <laughs> yes, it just all of a sudden like it was 91 day and then it was like oh hey it's going to be 43
1: that's the way it seems to go around here in the midwest weather is just insanity at sometimes but uh hell no, we might hit 90s next week you never know
0: oh by uh, christmas that's... we'll be back to 80 so it's fine <laughs>
1: yeah that's definitely happened before mm-hmm. um so have you picked up or watched anything interesting in the past week beyond what we're probably going to talk we'll about we talk later. about
0: yeah um I ah, just been like going back like, I watched Pumpkinhead 2 yesterday. Finally oh. cracked open that Scream Factory release of it. Forgot how bad that movie is. Forgot Bill Clinton's brother was in it. So that was it's so out of place and like it's so set up just to be like we gotta we gotta shoehorn, you know, Roger Clinton in here <laughs> real quick. Uh watch that, watch Night of the Demons again.
1: That's a good uh, Halloween time movie. Yeah. Uh,
0: what did I buy this week? Um, I haven't done a whole lot of buying. I did buy the Tax Collector this morning. I bought the four K of it. Comes mm. out Tuesday. It's a really good movie. I th- I don't know if me and you have talked about it, have we?
1: No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen it either.
0: Uh, it's really good, man. I- I'd recommend picking that one up. Uh, it's got Shia LaBeouf in it. Plays a uh, white guy who grew up around a bunch of like. Mexican gangsters, and oh. he he talks with, like, a Chicano accent and stuff, but it's actually pretty cool. That's cool.
1: Yeah, I haven't uh, heard much about that one, uh, but yeah, um, I picked up, I don't know why I ordered this, but it was, like, a cheap deal, but I ordered that stupid Uncle Sam movie. Do you ever watch that one?
0: I love Uncle Sam, dude.
1: <laughs> I, I actually have never seen it. I was always intrigued by the cover art, though. Um, I think
0: i think isaac hayes is
1: in that movie is he really
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm gonna double check that we go ahead
1: uh yeah but i picked that up and uh i didn't haven't said this on the show but i did get the uh tales from the dark side collection in and uh haven't got to that yet but i'm gonna get to watch it a little soon so
0: i was gonna, gonna like, ask you about that because i told you to watch the milkman cometh
1: yeah i just haven't got to it yet um uh, but I will. I'll definitely watch that one, one of the first ones. Um, And uh, I watched the 78 Invasion of the Body Snatchers the other night. Um, Had a good time with that. And uh, didn't get to it last night, but this morning I watched uh, Brain Scan. And uh, that's a fun movie. Uh, Eddie Furlong. and uh, Frank Langella. I, I love Frank Langella. I don't know about you, but he's like Awesome, in my opinion, so like
0: Franklin Joe where'd you get Uncle Sam at for cheap
1: uh eBay it was I bought it for eight bucks, so oh, that's a deal yeah so uh blue and- underground uh i think blue underground blu ray or that so and then uh, today, I picked up some stuff from um Di- uh family family video family video, a couple of those going out of business in my area. Two in particular I wanted to talk about, and I want to get your opinion on. I picked up The Grudge, The New Grudge, and uh, uh, Insidious Chapter 3. Now, here's my question. I was looking at the cast list of these movies. When the hell did Lynn Shea take the place of Danny Trejo or Eric Roberts, the person in every shitty horror
0: movie? Whenever she showed up in Nightmare on Elm Street. Because if it's a new line, if it's a new line movie, oh uh, Bob Shea is gonna make sure his
1: sister gets in it.
0: Well,
1: she's uh she's definitely in both of those. So yeah,
0: uh, I don't know if you ever noticed this. Uh, speaking of Lynn Shea and Insidious movies, but if you've ever noticed, uh, the Conjuring two and Insidious two are um, filmed in the exact same house with different wallpaper. Really, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, they came out like really close together too. And James Wan's involved in both, but the exact same house.
1: Well, hell, you know how many porn movies are probably filmed in the same house too. <laughs>
0: so. I know. I want to know how, like, you know, wh- there's so many problems with that house too. Yeah, the cable guys there, the plumber, a carpenter, her stepson, I no, a, a teacher. Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> you keep having water leaks. You're going to be filming porn in your place.
0: <laughs> no shit. On top of a dehumidifier. Right. That probably wouldn't bode well.
1: That <laughs> <laughs> would uh it would dry things up really quick. Yeah. So um <laughs> So yeah, that's kinda of how our week's been. I hope everybody's enjoying the Halloween season. You know it's we're we're uh kicking it off now, so uh this month is gonna fly by, I'm sure. We're already four days in as as we are recording this
0: right now, so even though I try to treat every month like like it's october and i'll watch as much horror as i can through the year there's just something special about actually watching horror movies in october like it, yeah like I, feel I feel like
1: ob- i i'm more dedicated to doing that in october
0: that's why i said like i'm obligated to do it like through the year it's a choice in october it's like you have to
1: yeah i think what uh it's really cool to like I mean, everybody's seen this, especially if you live in a, a climate that, that's uh, uh, akin to it. But, you know, I was just driving down the interstate the other day, and I, I was looking at the trees starting to turn, and, and uh, it's just a my favorite time of the year. I just love it. I wish, like, brutal winter didn't follow it sometimes, but... Uh,
0: we haven't had a winter around here in, like, <laughs> three years.
1: That's true, yeah. I don't think we got any snow last year, so... I'm cool. At least here.
0: Maybe a little bit Christmas morning. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of the time, it can kick rocks.
1: Right, right.
0: (laughs) Speaking of which, before we move on, I got to tell you this because it's in my brain. You have to. Have you seen Better Watch Out for the Christmas season? I haven't. Watch it this year. Throw it on your December playlist.
1: I'll do that for sure. Uh, I do love watching a little bit of holiday horror around Christmas. And, you know, I watch. uh, Blood Rage, everything C M E as well. Uh,
0: that's a new that, one for me. Like that's a yeah. recent thing for me, but I do. Me
1: too, actually. Yeah, so I'll watch that and uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I
0: can't miss that one. Yes. As well, <laughs> we watch that so. at my dad at my dad's house every year. Like, oh yep. god, you know they're getting ready to remake that too.
1: Yeah, I heard it's Will Smith and who was Kevin, it? Hart.
0: Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. And yeah. I I talked about it on a live stream once. I'm okay with it, but I want him to do it the opposite of what you'd expect. Because you're expecting Will Smith to be the straight man, the Steve Martin, Kevin Hart would be the John Candy. Completely switch it. Kevin Hart's your straight man. Will Smith is the wacky, zany dude, the John <laughs> Candy character.
1: I'd be, I'd be down with that. And I mean, to be honest, now with remakes, it everything's been remade pretty much. So who gives a damn? Like, it's it's too far gone to like get pissed about something being remade honestly so so anyway that's kind of uh I had no news pulled this week um, you know we'll we'll kind of update things actually one thing we could talk about is uh, I don't think we've talked about it on the show the uh, Friday the 13th sets are right on the doorstep
0: <sighs> yes people are getting them already like at first I thought it was just press but like regular folks are already starting to get them Right. Some small boutique shops are already putting them out for sale so but I'm not seeing reviews for them, so it makes me wonder if there's some sort of embargo uh as yeah, far as could, screeners went could be so but i'm I'm so pumped for that I don't know about you, but yeah uh, yeah i I think I'm actually going to replay i I usually try to watch all the Halloween films, with the exception of Rob zombies, Halloween's. Right. Uh, in October. I think I may replace that this year with Friday the 13th, just to go back and look at those new transfers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch a couple this month at least. And uh, I almost pulled the trigger and went to see the original uh, in the theater like this weekend. Uh, it was showing the the Fathom event was showing here. Uh, but I just decided not to. <laughs> But
0: man, I've seen that movie like four times this year.
1: Yeah, from what from what uh, our buddy Lauren from uh, "Visited by Voices" one on YouTube, check his his content out. From what he said, that is the new 4K transfer that they're showing in the theater. So, oh, um, cool. it was a chance, I guess, to see that early. But uh, but I I just did, and I figured I you know, just waited still- out.
0: You still have the HDR to look forward to though, because HDR is not a thing on projectors yet. So, and I think that's where that's going to shine. You get deeper yeah. blacks, yeah, things like that. So, I'm 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 really excited for it, even though I said I wasn't going to buy it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, you know what? It's it is what it is. Can't pass it up. So, uh,
0: no. I what
1: are your thoughts on? I've seen seen some of the pictures of people getting them. What are your thoughts about them going with the clear Blu-ray cases for that?
0: I was going to say I like it. Yeah. I I don't, I'm such a, I'm such a nerd that anytime (laughs) something's a little special, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. And that's, that's something to, well, they did the black cases for the, the Halloween set. Yeah. So I am glad they did something to sort of differentiate that. Also leads me to believe they're going to release some of those singly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they probably will, uh, as much as they can. I think they've got to do something with, uh. Jason goes to hell and and Jason X because those are so hard to come by
0: uh it's the two dumbest ones to not i know <laughs> I know to not have out uh, I don't know the yeah, I don't know this is the last time I'll buy until four k I guess yeah. and then I'll buy it again <laughs> because I'm a sucker well,
1: i'm sh- I'm sure those that have the new scans will come out on the four k so just like Halloween two and three which I will probably buy those, but it is what it is. So, guys, uh, I'm going to kind of hype up a couple things coming up on the YouTube side of things. Um, Next Sunday night, we'll be doing a live commentary for Satanic Rites of Dracula. That's a Christopher Lee Hammer Dracula movie that's, uh, I think, the only Hammer movie that's public domain, so uh, you'll be able to watch that along with us. And then, uh, on October 25th, Sunday night, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7th Central, join us. We're gonna, we're working on putting together a super show, uh, live commentary for Trick or Treat. The, uh, what year did that come out, did you say?
0: 2010? Uh, filmed in '06, came out in 2010.
1: Okay, so, uh, join us for that. We're gonna hopefully load up the, uh, stream with, uh, surprise guests and, uh. Just have a good time all around. So, uh, you know, Al will be there drinking. So you gotta check that out. <laughs> He'll get some and, uh, sort of
0: delivery. He always does. Yes,
1: yes, yes. He'll get uh, chicken wings again or something. I don't know. Whatever. Ac-
0: I'm not even 100 sure Al's alive because he never came back to the stream <laughs> last night.
1: Yeah, I don't know. So, but uh, we're gonna have a good time with that. That's our little pre-Halloween festivities, um, and uh, hope you enjoy that show as well. So check those out, S'mores and Doors Podcast uh, on YouTube is where you'll find those. So please join us and uh, have a good time. So uh, we're going to take things now to a very special guest we have today. Uh, we have the director of the movie Found, among other things. He's directed as well, Harvest Lake, The Bad Man. Uh, some of his other titles he's directed, and uh, we're going to talk to Scott Shermer here about uh, about found, about filmmaking, about a little bit of everything, so guys, we will be back on the other side of this interview to uh, talk a little bit about uh, found, and there will probably be some spoilers, so just beware yeah. of that, and uh, we will see you shortly. Scott Shermer is an independent filmmaker based in Bloomington, Indiana. He is a commercial video producer and editor, as well as the writer and director of several films. His first feature-length film, Found, premiered at Elvira's Horror Hunt in September 2012, where it won Best Feature, Best Director, and Best Actor. Found went on to win 39 awards at 49 festivals worldwide, including Best Picture at the Phoenix Film Festival, the New York City Horror Film Festival, and a Night of Horror Film Festival in Sydney, Australia. It was also an official selection of the 31st Annual Brussels International Fantastic Film Festival and Toronto After Dark. The S'mores Indoors Podcast is proud to welcome Scott to the show. Well, Scott, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
2: Under all the circumstances of the shit that is 2020, I am doing pretty good.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. We're happy to have you here and. uh... Excited to talk a little bit about filmmaking and, and you know, touch on a couple of things you've done in the past as well. But uh, I want to start out with a question that we always ask our guests and uh, talk a little bit about your memories of watching movies as a kid.
2: I have a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, the earliest memory I have of watching a movie was uh, Star Wars because I was – uh i think it was 1978 actually the year they re-released it and i would have been four years old so i remember the tat some tattooing scenes i don't remember the whole film i got sleepy and went to sleep halfway through but my earliest memory that i have can possibly get back to i think is a pretty good one um but after that god it was a religious experience for people my age i think. It was before cable television, and it was before VCRs and DVD players. So when you went to the theater to see a movie, you you usually did not expect to ever get to see that movie ever again. Because even though movies would come to television, there it wasn't like a regular thing. And certainly most movies never came to television. It was just like an occasional one-off type deal. So I just, when I went to the movies, I remember Return of the Jedi, for example, when that came out. I was already hooked on Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars. I remember just sitting there on the edge of my seat just trying to remember every creature, every shot, everything. Because we didn't have a VCR, and I couldn't expect it to be on television. Right. So I I think I just have a reverence for movies, and I still maybe still feel a little bit of that when I go to the theater today.
1: Sure. So was it those – I know you've kind of been in filmmaking uh, since you were a kid. Was it uh, those experiences that kind of brought you into that interest?
2: Yeah. Mom took us, my brother and me, to see The Empire Strikes Back um, so many times in the theater. And one day we sat and watched it three times in a row. And I remember since I'd seen it already several times, I would watch other people watching the movie. And I think maybe that's when it started to – started me thinking about making movies. It's like, well, I wonder how they're going to react to this part. Cause I know how I did, you know? Sure. So I don't know. It might've started way back then, but then certainly by the fifth grade, um, my, uh, teacher, Mrs. Rankin had us all write film strips and draw on the film strip, the story that we were telling. And we played music over narration on an audio tape. And, um, I got the best in the class with my uh, partner on that project and uh, then we went and won some awards and some media fairs. Right. So by yeah. that time, I got the taste of blood in my mouth. I was like, well, "Oh well, not only is this kind of a cool thing, but it's also something that I'm better at than everybody else in the class, at least." Sure. <laughs> it's always good to
1: good to fall back on that if uh, you're, you're until doing you it go well. To,
2: until you go to college, and then you find out that you are not the only one doing it. <laughs> Everyone well, in college is doing it. Yeah,
1: I was actually going to touch on that. I, I was gonna talk about you went to Indiana University for film uh, and had done stuff you know up through high school um, in the past but when you got to college, uh, what were the biggest takeaways that you you gained from that experience and and misconceptions you've had uh, that you thought you knew about film but but really
2: you didn't know anything <laughs> um, well, I didn't know how bad of a writer I was. I don't okay. think anyone knows how bad of a screenwriter in particular that they are until they learn about the whole joseph campbell hero's adventure thing you may think you know that but unless you've actually it, unless it clicks and I, it's not a hard thing i'm not saying it's something that is difficult to master but once i read uh christopher vogler's The writer's journey which basically condenses all that campbell stuff down to layman's terms uh-huh. I was like, oh, my God, this all makes sense now. And I happened to be to be in a screenwriting class at that same time. And the story that I pitched our screenwriting professor at the beginning of the semester, I had not read that book yet. And he told me, I don't want to read that shit. That's something only your mother would love, which apparently he didn't know my mom because she does not flatter me with anything. But after I read that book, I pitched a different story. And he said, that sounds like a hell of a lot better story. And it was completely because I read that book that helps you really structure a story. So there's that, the the hero's journey, basic thing about storytelling. Every story ever told fits into it. I don't care what it is. And then the other thing that I may have just learned recently was the fact that I had a creative partner all through grade school and high school. My friend Heidi and I worked together on stuff. And after that, I've partnered with a few different people in my life for extended periods of time. And while I was in college, I didn't have that creative partner for a long time. And so it was very easy to fall away from filmmaking and just kind of not do anything because you didn't have that other partner to kind of help keep you engaged all the time. So that was something else I learned was that um, some people can do it all on themselves, you know, all by themselves, their dynamos. And to some extent, I like to think that I'm like that, but I really like to have a creative partner.
1: Right. So I was, I was doing a little research and watching a couple of videos, interviews you had done in the past, and, and you had done some work after college, but you took a kind of a hiatus. Um, what was really the, the background? But before you, you found, found, uh, what was that hiatus? Uh, how did that come about, and, and what were the
2: struggles you were facing to get you to that point? Technology was really it because I had creative partners all through that time, but the best that we could possibly do was on um, VHS tape, and VHS tape, no matter how well you light it and no matter how good a story you're telling, still looks like VHS, and I'm not a fan, sorry to say. Packaging, box art, sure, I get it, but the quality of VHS tape, my God, it's wretched. So it took a long time until, I mean, I went to college in 92, and many DVs are what I shot, House of Hope and Off the Beaten Path and a lot of other Projects on and Mini DV looked a little better than VHS, but it wasn't until 2010ish that the uh, the the breakthrough in technology happened with uh, DSLR cameras, basically photography cameras that could shoot video, and uh, you can't tell the difference between film and that unless you've got an extraordinarily well trained eye. And now there's there's anything if you can learn how to make a film right, it, the technology will permit you to make it look right. It'll look just like a movie that plays in the theaters. A real sure. movie. Right, right.
0: Kind of on that uh, that same question, uh, Found, I know, had an extremely micro budget. How, what did you shoot Found with? Because you could not – if somebody would have just told me that, that it, what it was shot for, I wouldn't have believed them because it looked so good.
2: A lot of people don't believe this. I remember there was a uh, another filmmaker that sort of became a troll for me after Found <laughs> and kept telling people there's no way that movie cost $8,000, and I think they spent 100000 on their movie. But it really did because the only things that cost money when you don't pay anyone is the equipment that you use. And I used a uh, 7D, a Canon 7D DSLR camera. And I think it was about uh, wow. two grand at the time. So 2 of our 8 grand went to the camera and the rest of it went towards some lights um and some sound microphone uh Zoom H4n recorder and uh props and uh stuff like that makeup effects uh took up a couple grand. So you can absolutely do something with 8 grand or even less if if you're not needing to do horror and have uh prosthetics and stuff involved as long as you can get the equipment and cameras are cheaper now than they were in 2010, 2012. Right. So yeah, you can do a lot with very little. It's when you start paying people, which really you should do. It's a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> you can only do that once. Found's the only movie I've, I've done where no one got paid. Right. Right.
1: So found was your first feature shot on film or, or, or at least with the, uh, not, Listen not up. VHS, I guess you could say, um, and you had a lot of success festival-wise and, and beyond. Is it, Was that a blessing or a curse when it came to... Obviously, it's a blessing to kind of build your career off of, but was it kind of a curse as well to have so much success up front and have to follow that up?
2: I guess I could see how it could be a curse, and I've joked about it being a curse, but I really don't feel like it's a curse. Okay. Um, The truth is, Todd Rigney wrote a really interesting story, and we were... F- faithful to the story to the point where it came across i think most people who've seen the movie and read the book say it's pretty faithful so i really have to credit todd for tapping into the zeitgeist and i'm sure todd didn't mean to usually when people do they they don't they didn't mean to it just happens it's organic and for some reason the audience for independent horror at the time that found came out was very sympathetic to the nostalgia of of found because it takes place in the And the whole idea of being a little kid and having movie night and sneaking horror movies out of your brother's bedroom, that kind of stuff, in addition to the gore component that the middle of the movie brings, that brings in sort of the gore hounds. I can try and explain why found did well, but really it was just the right movie at the right time for the most part. And um, I just tried not to fuck it up too bad Right. Um, to let the story get out there and um, – yeah i've never ha- i've never had a movie that I think will do as well have as many people like it, but you never know right
1: so, so obviously that movie is you know very graphic in tone and and some of the visuals as well uh and there are several kids in that production uh too what's what's the challenge of working with kids when it comes to a film kind of like found
2: I'd worked with kids before on different movies, until, uh, before Found. I call them short films because none of them were really feature-length, but I'd worked with right. a lot of kids. and they I love kids because you don't have to work against the training that uh, other adults have, and they don't usually have the egos that grown-ups do. So usually you can get a natural performance out of a kid if they show any proclivity towards acting at all. Found was special because it was very hard to find the right kid that was the right age and whose parents – Uh, whose family would be okay with the subject matter right and so gavin brown plays marty and found and fortunately he was a very precocious i think 11 or 12 year old when we started and so the content didn't bother him and so it didn't bother his mom but i had to spend a a almost all of my creative energy on his performance and my my main regret with found is that i didn't give the rest of the cast much direction and a lot of the adults have been picked on in reviews and um i taken i take all the credit for it it's because it took so many takes to get this young boy who's never acted before to get the performance that we needed that i often with the adults is like that's good enough you know we didn't have time to just keep doing it forever and with a kid too you, you might have two or three takes that didn't work, and then one would, and then he was just out. Like, that's all you're going right. to get, and you have right. to know that, or else you're just going to piss him off anyway. Or sure. he'd, be, he'd be inspired on the first take, and you'd be like, oh, God, that's amazing. Let's mold it a little. Nope, that's all you're getting. So <laughs> it, it it was weird directing him. He had the raw talent. I'm not trying to take away from Gavin at all because he absolutely – had the raw talent there to mind, but that was my full-time job on that movie.
1: I think the uh, the job you did was was came across very well in that, that final product. So, Jonathan, sure. I think you had one kind of final question on found before we move, move on.
0: Yeah, I had this sort of a question about something that I was noticing in the film, and uh, I didn't know if maybe I just missed it or if it was supposed to be ambiguous, and that was the, um, I guess, what would be the effects of violent media on the mind um i feel like the film is trying to say something about that but i was kind of unclear about what that was well so am i (laughs) okay so it is supposed to i I, I was wondering if
2: it mentions it i can't remember exactly how that comes up in the movie but i i remember it comes up uh oh they're they're worried that marty might become a violent person because he watches horror movies it's just another element to throw onto the table um but but yeah uh Honestly, I don't know. I don't want to tell the audience what to think, but I do like posing interesting questions. Um, the racism that is involved in the storytelling of Found has always been a has been a very puzzling component around that movie because I like to think I'm not a racist, but apparently <laughs> a, a handful of racist people really liked Found, and um, they wrote me at some point and they started to boycott me when they realized that I am not a racist. <laughs> and when I made some statements about black lives mattering, I got such shit from this small vocal handful of people who apparently really thought I was racist and thought the film was. And I'm like, you know, racism's in the movie, but the main character, Marty, Marty, is not racist. He he does not do what his brother tries to get him to do in being racist in that film. It's an anti-racist movie. It's funny to me how things like that happen. Same things with like Fight Club. I feel like all the people that love Fight Club probably love it for the wrong reasons. I think it's a complicated movie. But then there are other people who'll just dismiss it because it's so brutal on some surface superstitial level. People just they don't get what it's really truly deeply about and i feel like on a different not as, you know, profound level as fight club, that might have gone on with found. But i don't know, i'm rambling at this yeah. point.
0: <laughs> no, it's just so odd that they would that that's that group of people would think that that was supposed to be a redeeming quality for Steve. That,
2: that group yeah. of people i think really thought they'd tapped into something and that was creepy. That was a truly creepy moment. Wow.
1: Right. right. So, one thing i i definitely appreciate about your your work is, uh, you know, pushing the envelope and and tackling subjects that a lot of independent horror or or film in general don't do, uh, including the sexual nature of of some of the work you do. Uh, Kevin Kevin Roach was on our show and he was talking about uh, when uh, he was going to do Harvest Lake with you and you kind of made triple sure that he was Aware of what he was getting into, based on one scene, which uh, um, you know we won't spoil here. If anyone hasn't seen that movie, mm-hmm. I hope they do. Um, what's What's that process like for you to once you have someone that you want to be a part of a, a film you're doing, kind of uh, you know getting them comfortable with what they may be facing in the in the uh, film itself
2: most of the time i've written parts with people in mind and that i knew beforehand like on uh harvest lake i knew ellie church and i knew jason crow so i knew and i'd heard and was familiar with tristan risk so i kind of knew what they were game for and to some extent some of these people are exhibitionists in real life so they're fine On Plankface, for example, when Brian and I conceived of that story, um, we were like, well, who the hell are we going to get to play these parts? Because they're like really fearless, scary parts. And we wrote it for Bridget McCauley and Susan Martin. And um, I guess we didn't really write it for Alice Winkler, but we very soon had her. And uh, so it's rare. The only case that comes to mind when that wasn't uh, a part written for someone we already knew was the lead in Plankface. Okay, because uh, we didn't have anyone that fit the bill for that, and so we were doing an open internet cattle call, so to speak. But I had seen that he had acted um, nude in something previously, so I knew nudity wasn't going to bother him, and it sure didn't because even between takes, he didn't put his clothes on. And um, <laughs> yeah, so the, I th- I think that kind of, sex is fine. I think it's sexualized violence that you have to be um careful about uh most of the actors i know they don't care sex doesn't bother them it's sexualized violence that everyone is uh very careful about now right. and honestly i've toned it down i just i don't think you're gonna see as much sexualized violence in as many movies as you did per se you know five ten years ago um like bad uh some people are like is that it is what this is tamer than your other stuff, and I'm like, well, yeah. Just um, if if we're going to have a woman being brutalized and and uh, if we're going to exploit the nudity, then it needs to mean something and it needs to be for a good reason. Um, right. it's not that I won't ever do it again. Um, new movie I'm doing there, there's a there's going to be some stuff, but it's I don't know, I don't know. But right. but getting people to do it, you just have to be forthright and upfront with them sure about what's expected you do not surprise them i've heard other filmmakers try and pull surprises on the actors actresses usually on the day of and that's really really rude because it puts them on the spot to try and coerce them to do something that you had never previously agreed to do and it makes the actor look bad because everybody is waiting for them to agree so that they can proceed it's a really low really low thing to do and unfortunately i know some women who've who've experienced that on sets and there really just can't be any, we can't tolerate it. Right. So I want to
1: go back to um, kind of the screenplay process. And you talked about found being a, a novel that you, you found uh, no pun intended there. Um, So when it comes to, you know, adapting a novel for a screenplay or writing your own original work, what, what Mm. are, which is more of a challenge uh, in terms of that?
2: Um, I don't know if one comes out above because I've written a handful of original screenplays, and I guess maybe that's harder just because it's all on you to conjure it and execute it and to stay um, – uh, I don't know I can't put bl- blank on the word, but to, to keep a perspective on it because if you conceived the idea, chances are that the idea has stayed and gestated with you for so long that you could potentially lose – the reason you fell in love with the idea over that period of time, right. whereas if you have the experience I did with reading Todd's book found, um, then you get the opportunity to have that instant response to it when you finish reading it, not having conceived it and had it just stay with you for a long time. So with found, it was easier, I would say, because I remembered very well why I loved that book because I got to experience it. All in one night, one sitting, actually, right. and I could always go back to that moment and and re-experience that feeling and remember why I fell in love with it. Other projects, pet projects that last forever, you never know you might forget why you <laughs> did something, and something that was so important at one time might completely disappear out of the project, so perspective is a little different, sure, and then, but Todd also writes in a very screenplay like way, found could just literally transpose to screenplay form. But I I did another screenplay adaptation that was way, way harder because it was so much more complicated and had to be condensed and characters had to be combined and subplots had to be taken out, subplots had to be added in. You're almost twisting what genre the book is and turning it into a different one. That kind of thing can be – it's basically what do people expect from it? Do they want a faithful adaptation? That's probably easier to do. But a lot of times people want you to turn something into something it's really not meant to be.
1: Right, right. So so once you have that script and you've got your cast, um, what's kind of your process of an order of events in that production phase in terms of, you know, what, what kind of schedule do you typically keep and, uh, you know, what's kind of – how do you structure your shot order and, and things like that?
2: Um, scheduling the movie. I do. Want, I love Excel spreadsheets. That's what I use. Um, uh, you number the scenes in the screenplay and then you put them in a spreadsheet and you've got a column for the scene name, the scene number, whether it's a day or, not, day or night, what location it's at and a brief description and then a number that corresponds to how long the scene is or how long you think it'll take to shoot. And then I go through and I schedule the movie and I just was doing this on the movie that I'm hoping to shoot next year. Um, You schedule basically based on location and whether it's a day or night first. Actor availability can be another consideration. But you use that spreadsheet and you sort the columns, you know, accordingly to figure out what you're doing. And that number that correlates to how long or how complicated you think the scene is, I figured out that about seven is my maximum. So when I see a day is at seven or more, then I'm like, okay, we might need another shooting day at this location. So that's kind of how I schedule. And um, what was the other part of that?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'll just I'll just follow off of that. Is that a, a part of the
2: process that you enjoy doing? I do. Process- I like spreadsheets. I like I like the scheduling part. I don't mind the budgeting part as long as people can help me figure out what things cost. Right. Working, working with Arthur Cullifer, he's like, well, this is gonna. Hmm, he all, he forgets a lot of the ingredients and in, and in some of his things and so getting the makeup budget can be very challenging at times. But if it's just a spreadsheet and organization type thing, I like that stuff. That's fun for me. Right. Location so, scouting and getting permission to do shit's not fun.
1: <laughs> so once you're out and about and you're shooting your scenes, um what's the most important part of that process in your opinion? The shooting? Yeah.
2: I mean, you're trying to shoot the movie in your head and you're trying to get it to be as close to what you imagine as possible. So you're watching the the viewfinder, hoping to feel what you wanted to feel and see what you wanted to see. And uh, it's always a compromise because almost never do you get what you wanted. It's always some fraction of what you wanted. And for me, I'm hoping to not produce Like the next movie next year, I'm only directing it. And I'm hoping that this experience will be different, but the producer inside my head is probably still going to be there thinking, okay, it's halfway through the day. You've only got this many hours left. You could do this shot again, but it means you might have even less time to do something else later. So you have to be aware of what all is getting done in that day and and the scenes you most want to lavish time and attention on and the others that you just kind of have to get in the can and and run with what you got. Um, Compromise is such a cruel, cruel mistress, man. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the more days, the more time that you can afford yourself, the better because that will allow you to do things over and over again. And I have had to shoot so fast everything I've done so far that I don't even really feel like a director. I'm, I'm mostly producing my movies and directing like barely. Because it's just it's so hard to make movies in like ten days, right that you're lucky- you're lucky to get what you get, <laughs> so I'm hoping this next movie will, will be the first time that we'll have a adequate time
1: so i I think you said something interesting there you know you're you're trying to shoot the movie you saw in your head, but when you get to that editing process, have you ever had films that you envisioned in your mind change uh in that process,
2: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they change when you're shooting, too, because someone will do something that's completely different and unexpected or Brian will set up the camera a different way than you imagined and you're going to like it and you'll want to run with it. So, yeah, you do have to be free to you don't want to be too locked and set in your way, because then if something happens, if fate comes to fuck you you won't be prepared to be flexible and adapt as needed. You, you need to have a plan, but almost every day the plan gets fucked with and you have to come up with some way to creatively shorten your schedule all of a sudden, make someone's performance easier. And found as an example, the, the night the two boys, uh, the one boy shows the other boy, the the head of the bully from school, that scene was like three times longer and more complicated and it was one of the hottest days of the year that day, and we were upstairs in an apartment with no air conditioning, and these kids were not fucking having it. They wanted out, so I had to be on – I was – I cried that day. I went outside. I left everyone. Leah, the the director of photography and co-producer, I just cried all over her. like In a private, in an alley, I cried all over her. And, um, yeah, you just have to – and we changed the scene. We just changed all of it literally on the spot to make it shorter and to get through it. So you do what you have to do to be – you, you got to be an excellent planner, but you also have to be an excellent improvisationalist almost. Right. So you kind
1: of mentioned it in the, the beginning of our interview here. Uh, you know, 2020 has been pretty much a shit show uh, <laughs> all across the board. Um, in every way. <laughs> Any single way do you see any changes in the filmmaking process post covid uh
2: i'm I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that, but it seems to me like the the industry might end up being more like the way indie filmmakers do it just because they can't afford to do it any other way um I mean, if you can movies can be made for eight grand, you know. <laughs> So yeah. why, is that, why isn't Hollywood keen to that? Yeah. I mean, they should be. I, I don't know. Someday, I, I always imagine they're going to figure it out, and uh, they're going to end up making movies the same way that we do.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, if it's like the government, they pay $72 for a toilet seat, so who knows? I'm sure the, the Hollywood film business is the same way.
2: Oh, it, is. Um, <laughs> it is. They're good jobs, though. I mean, it makes me sad because I don't want people not to get paid good money. Sure. For doing their jobs, but I have friends on TV productions and stuff, and they tell me about the extravagance of the money just being spent on everything in every which direction. And and how everyone's got a very special, select job, and they can only do that job when that job needs done, and then all the rest of the time they just stand there. like They don't like jacks-of-all-trades on, on professional studio movie sets. Jacks-of-all-trades are what save you time and money, though. So I don't know. Hollywood probably needs a kick in the pants, but I'd also like to have some money that Hollywood has.
1: <laughs> so, uh I did want to touch on the fact that uh, some news did come out recently here that uh, you'll be directing Bill Moseley next year. If uh, all goes well, yes. Yeah, so uh what what can you talk can you say about that project
2: uh so far? It's all Kermit Merle Key's fault. Kermit is a guy in Columbus, Indiana, about an hour from where I'm at in Bloomington. And we've known each other since Found came out, I think. I'm not sure exactly how we first met. But he has tried to get me involved in projects of his for a long time. And I've just been too in my own world doing my own thing. But after Batman, I've taken a few years off. And now I'm wanting to do something, but I don't know what So he says, hey, dude, I've got a screenplay. People have read it. They say it's really good. And I'm like, sure, everybody everybody says a screenplay is good just to shut you up. But I read it, and it was actually good. And I remember after I finished it, I was like, fuck, I should do it. It's good. Damn, I can't just sit on my ass another year. So, yeah, it's a horror comedy, which I always told myself I couldn't write, but I would love to direct. So he's – He's producing it and writing it, and I'm directing it, and uh, we've got more cast members that he's going to announce that we've got letters of intent from. So if all goes well and the world doesn't go to shit further than it already has next (laughs) summer, we'll be uh, directing a horror comedy in Indiana. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out for
1: that. I have one more question. Jonathan, did you have anything you wanted to ask before I – Give that final question.
0: No, go ahead. I've just been sitting here and enjoying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're definitely in the Halloween season now. We're we're into October. Uh, so, my final question is: What are some of your favorite films to to uh, watch
2: in the Halloween season each year? Pumpkinhead, because I just adore Pumpkinhead. I watch it all the time. Um, Creepshow. I remember very distinctly on Trick or Treat Night watching Creepshow on Cinemax. I think that was the yeah. first time I'd ever seen it. 1986. God, I even remember the year I saw it on Cinemax. Um, and I think that's because I was dressed as Howard the Duck and that had come out. Or maybe it was 87. Anyway, I'm going off in, on memory lane. Um, and um, Fright Night. I love Fright Night. Um, Gremlins I watch all the time. But I, I think my perennial is is Pumpkinhead, and that's true for kind of a lot of the friends I have too. Pumpkinhead is one you got to play every uh-huh. October.
1: Well, those are definitely movies that you listed that uh, we're big fans of too. So it's uh,
2: because they're good.
1: So, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I won't take up any more of your time. I want to thank you so much for coming on, and and hopefully when this new project comes out, uh, we can get you back on and talk a little bit about it in the future. So. uh, Awesome. But uh thanks so much again for coming on and uh have a good day.
2: Thanks man. It's good to be here with you.
1: All right, well we want to thank Scott for being on the show. Uh it's uh was a thrill to have him along with us here and, and to talk about uh filmmaking and and found and and his uh film career in general. Um I want everybody to go check his stuff out at his website uh scottshermer.com and uh if you act rapidly you could possibly get a cop signed copy of Found on his website for seven dollars He's got a 50% off sale on uh, his his titles. and uh, Make sure you check him out, check his stuff out, and uh, give him a try if you haven't seen any of his stuff. I know Jonathan recently saw Found for the first time, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Found here, and I do want to kind of preface that with the uh, fact that we will be talking some spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you might want to skip uh, this section of the show, but uh, Jonathan, your first off your overall thoughts, um, I guess non-spoiler thoughts on the movie itself.
0: Ah, uh, well, okay, so I want to like give everybody my like mindset going into Found. Um, I knew it was independent, very very low budget, and I just I've seen so many of those kind of movies, and they're just like God. So I went in thinking, like, oh, it's, it's probably not going to be any good. And, I, I mean, within, you know, 10 minutes, I was, I was hooked. Like, you cannot see... Th- it does not look like an $8,000 movie. Uh, right. I mean, it definitely still looks low budget, no doubt, but, I mean, it looks like it has a much, much larger uh, budget than it does. Um, and it's free on Tubi, by the way, if you want to go watch it. I want to mention that again. It is the cut version, but trust me, there's... There's plenty there to see, uh, right? <laughs> in the cut version, um, but yeah, I mean, I was just not expecting much, and I can't really, I can't really uh, emphasize that enough. You know, people are gonna right. hear independent, low budget, and think, ah, uh, no. I mean, go see it. I mean, I don't want to get into spoilers right now, I, right. but that's just kind of where my head was, and I was blown away. So,
1: well, I think one thing that that's um uh, interesting about the movie is that um and I said this to you off off the show is it's almost like a family drama with gore but i mean it's so much more than that too yeah um uh, you know that that dynamic between the brothers is um uh to me felt very you know realistic uh you know how a younger brother would look up to his older brother and and uh, wanna kind of emulate you know, the person he is, so, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a strong movie, I mean, the, the writing, um, is, is, uh, very good in that movie, and it's funny, you know, Scott talked about, uh, in the interview how he learned, uh, how bad a writer he was when he went to college, um, but he's definitely worked, definitely worked hard on that, oh, yeah. if, if that was the case, so.
0: You know, I, I kind of wish I would have asked him. You know, increase the budget tenfold, hundred, you know, times hundred. Right. Still, still low budget. What he, what he even could have done different. I mean, I think the only thing he could have done different was casted a little bit more seasoned adult actors because I, I think I do think the guy that plays Steve right. and the kid that plays Marty were perfect for that. And he hit on that. He spent a lot of time with Gavin, the kid who played Marty. Right. Uh, but it's also it's just one of those things like I don't see how he could have improved on that movie with you know a hundred times the budget that he had honestly,
1: no, and that's a that's a good point that he even he made is that uh you know i don't I don't guess he said that sometimes films don't cost that much but but you can make a quality product for for little money and uh you know when you you're looking at a story like that, yeah, you could have you know added another thirty forty grand to like really beef up the effects, but did it really need it no i don't I don't think it did
0: it, like I'll get to that in a second when we really dive into spoilers on that, but the effects were fine, Like yep. they I, he, somebody did him a favor like yeah <laughs> had, had to because it, it is really good quality effects like that's just, just want to emphasize like he could not have done a whole lot more with more money i mean he could have right. paid i mean I guess he could have paid people, but you know but right. uh. You know, but um, I guess that's really the only thing. I mean, this is the only case where I've said the budget wouldn't have done much for it. You know, $8,000, right. he made a, a fantastic film. All right. So do so you want to guess... hop in on spoilers now? Yeah. yeah I've been go, keeping yeah. this inside. I haven't been able to, like, talk about this publicly yes. yet.
1: Go ahead, fire off.
0: How fucked up is that movie?
1: <laughs> it is, really.
0: In, like, a weird way, too. It's not, it's not the gore. I I, I kind of said it when Lauren was talking to us last night about, you know, he's talking about the gore and the, the headless portion yep. of the movie. That's not the good part of the part no. of the movie is there to establish what the brother is doing to his victims. Cause we never see right. Steve kill anybody. Really? It's never sure. on screen. Uh, so we watch headless to get the idea of what he's doing. So now we know what he's doing. And that's the only reason that's there. Right. So the gore is not even what you're looking for. It's the, you know I felt a lot of fear you know like when uh when Marty takes the the bowling bag out and shows it to to David his friend yeah and then he realizes that Steve knows like I felt a lot of fear for him there um, and it's the movie's really not that screwed up until until the last i don't know fifteen minutes
1: that that fifteen minutes where where uh Marty's tied up on the bed and he's just listening to what's going on in the other room is just unsettling as hell
0: it is and i I saw a review because i watched a couple reviews afterwards see what the consensus was for the movie and i heard a couple times and it pissed me off really bad that uh there was a couple of people complaining that we didn't see anything that happened in the room you cannot paint a worse picture than what I saw in my head was going on in that room.
1: Yeah, I think that makes it
0: more effective, honestly. That is exactly the way that needed to be shot. From Marty's perspective, looking into the looking at the door and hearing his parents being raped and murdered. Right. Um yeah. showing it would have done nothing but hurt that movie. Yeah. Would, I agree. It, it would have become a torture porn, you know, movie. It would it, was, it would have done nothing but hurt it. And this is and it's it's funny in a, in a film that cost eight thousand dollars that not a lot of people know uses that less is more about as perfectly as you can use it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the best choices were made when it came to what to show, what not to show um, effects wise. I, I just want to say uh, I'm not sure what the process was to do this, but when he shows his friend the bully's head in the bag, that head looked very much like the bully's head.
0: It did. That's what I'm saying. The effects in that movie. Like, somebody he's buddies with somebody who's like, yeah, let me, let me do you a solid, you know, yeah. and I'll make you a couple prosthetic heads. I guess there've been four heads made for the movie. Yeah, and then a penis. <laughs> and
1: <laughs> you're in for a treat when you see the unedited version. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's just that sexual violence that is just so disturbing. Like when Steve grabs his mom and he's getting like turned on at the fact that yeah. she's screaming and he's going to kill her. like that is just, Oh, like, I feel so fucking icky. But,
1: that's a, that's another good point that, uh, Scott made in our interview. You know, the sexual violence thing is, is tough to do nowadays. um, you think he could have done that? That's that scene that way now.
0: Absolutely, man. Eight thousand dollars of your money, you can do whatever you want.
1: Well, that's true. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and I mean that's a. I'm not offended by it. I'm like blown away that somebody did it. Right. Like, I mean, you're talking about a dude having sex with a decapitated head and orifices that are not the mouth. Like right. it's. <laughs> it, you throw that it's his parents on top of that because that's the implication that I got. Like. That's what I, ca- I took from that is like his mother was being raped. At least his mother. Yes. And, and then yeah, uh, from the end of that, uh, and when you realize why the eye holes are missing in all the heads, <laughs> the yeah. eyes are missing. Um, but you know what? That final shot of the film, I, I think everybody kind of points to that is, like, oh my god, that's crazy, and it is crazy. But I thought it was a weird, that's a weird ending. That like, because Steve yeah. becomes so upset that he upset Marty. Like why do you stack Marty in the middle between your two, you know, chopped yeah. up parents like? And Steve just kind of walks outside to get caught, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was uh I'd really need to watch it again, I think, and and kind of absorb it a little more. Um now that I know what to expect and and you know, there's always movies like that that are And I I I will say that's kind of a a movie you have to think about a little deeper than just a slasher. You know, it's uh there's a lot more depth in the characters and, and things like that. So
0: as well done as the movie is, I mean, there are a couple things I question, like I don't understand, like the whole racist subplot with Steve. Yeah. It's just, it's just kind of brushed over. Right. When there's some runtime in that movie, which I, I, you know, I think it's the only thing that I said that I had to critique on is the movie probably could have been 15, 20 minutes shorter, uh, right. the way it exists now. Um, uh, You know, it would have been nice to see maybe those 15, 20 minutes put towards his racism because it's really only brought up one time in the middle of the film uh, as to what he's doing. So that just seems strange to me. It seems odd to give him that trait and not explore it. It may be something that's explored in the book, but...
1: I know one thing that he, when he uh, is talking to his brother about that, he's he's talking about his... uh... I think he says, you know, Dad's right, and he's talking about the racism thing. Does, is there a point in the movie where the dad is being yeah, racist?
0: Yeah, there is. It's a, it's a. I'd call it an homage to American History X. You kind of have that scene at the dinner table where the dad drops an N bomb. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, you know, it's just kind of, and then it, the next time anything like that's brought up, it's brought up uh, when Steve and Marty are talking in the right. field. Um. And like I said, maybe maybe use that extra runtime to do that. And I'm not saying it's a bad film by any means, or that makes it. Poor. I'm just saying like that kind of left me scratching my head. You could om- you could leave that subplot out. Uh, and yeah. It's the same. It's the same film. It doesn't affect it uh, in any way. Uh, I guess unless you're a white supremacist and like uh, like Scott said, for some <laughs> yeah. reason they, there's some of those that seem to like that movie, which is strange. Um, the Proud Boys love that movie, by the they way. They do. It's <laughs> their national, it's, they watch it at their convention every year. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so weird, because I, I don't even see it as a racist film, but I did see that brought up in reviews, too. And it's like, I feel like you'd have to hit on it a lot more to call it racist. Um, yeah. Or, and even then, it's not racist. It's racist subject matter. Like People have got to get off this shit. Like That stuff exists. And Steve's, yeah. not, it's Steve's not your protagonist. You're not supposed to like Steve. Steve's not supposed no. to have redeeming qualities. Um, and the second thing was, and I asked um, Scott about it, was what is the film saying about violent media, the effects of violent media on the young mind? Um, and it is kind of open, I guess. It, it does feel like the film opens up to that question, but you have Steve who's very clearly affected by it so much that he's Right. basically remaking these films in, in real life and Marty, who's not so much. Yeah. So, so I don't know. That was, that was a big theme. Uh, I felt like I could have used some answers to, but I guess leaving it open for interpretations fine too. But that's really the only, the only issue I had with the movie was the, pretty much just the subplot of him being racist. It just seemed very tagged on. Right.
1: No, it's a, it's a definitely a, a well done film. And, and, uh, you know, as we said in the interview, yeah. um, not shot on film, but Scott's first, uh, full feature, uh, non videotape movie. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's a, definitely a, uh, highly rec- recommended for me as well as his other work as well. Uh, harvest lake is a weird movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I watched it. That was the first movie of his I watched, um, uh, because, uh, uh buddy was in it and, um, uh, but it's it's so well shot and uh um it's just an interesting concept. One thing you can say about his films they're not the typical low budget crap that's like thoughtless. You know, there's a lot of uh oh, hard work and thought that goes into his stuff. So I highly recommend, like I said, go to uh, ScottShermer.com and uh, he has a sale going right now on uh, the stuff he has put out. So check that out for sure. So. Well, it's been a great show, had a great interview, and make sure you guys check out those uh YouTube streams we've got coming up. Uh we hope uh we can pack the the uh, stream with uh panelists as well as audience and um have you guys uh give us some questions, some comments throughout that show. So, uh Jonathan, where can the people find you at online?
0: I can be found at Bombastic Reviews on YouTube, Bombastic Reviews on Facebook, Mr. Bombastic on Instagram, which I never update, <laughs> and, of course, smoresandorspodcast.com one more time.
1: Yeah, smoresandorspodcast.com is where this show will be when it drops, uh, but you already know that because you're listening to it right now, so I don't know why I said that.
0: And evidently, uh, you're from Wales, so hi.
1: Yeah, uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh but I'm at uh, S'mores 76 on Instagram uh, and S'mores and Podcast on Facebook and YouTube, as we said. And uh, again, check out Uh We will be back next weekend, like I said, on YouTube for another live commentary. Satanic Rites of Dracula is the movie. And we will be back with another audio episode of the show in two weeks where we will have. Something to talk about, I'm not sure what yet But we'll figure out something
0: so. We figured this out before we came on So, And this isn't yeah. a bad show Imagine <laughs> yeah, what we so. can do with two weeks of prep time yeah.
1: <laughs> it'll, it'll end up being like two hours prep time But that's alright So, yeah. <laughs> we'll so uh, maybe, maybe in the two weeks Actually in the two weeks for sure We will have met Mick Foley Yes, So we can talk about that And we may have some uh, Friday the 13th box sets in our hands So
0: You heard Uh it here, folks. Mick Foley coming to the podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see. Uh, God, that would be confusing uh, for him. (laughs) So, Mick, uh, what what are your thoughts on found? Let me show you this
0: movie (laughs) real quick. You would never. God, what is wrong with you, people? (laughs) Be
1: calling the police on us. So, (laughs) anyway, guys, uh, thanks for checking out the show. We've we've uh, grown so much in the last uh, several months since we started this thing. And uh, we, we just appreciate everybody checking the show out and um, your comments, your, uh, your uh, you know, just your following up the show and, uh, and uh, helping us grow it. So until next time, guys, take it easy.